from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Sitting in today for Tony is our own Sarah Perry, Director of Partnerships for Family Research Council. Welcome to Washington Watch on this, the 3rd of April, 2020. I am Sarah Perry, Director of Partnerships, sitting in for Tony Perkins on the Friday before we go into Easter week. Well, coming up tonight on today's show... With hospitals and medical care providers operating at max capacity in dealing with the coronavirus nationwide, and certain populations at more risk than others, who decides the allocation of life-saving supplies and measures if there's a shortage? Are certain lives more valuable than others? Well, anticipating these types of challenges, the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services issued a bulletin to ensure that entities covered by civil rights authorities, including those providing COVID-19 health care, do not discriminate. I'll have Roger Severino, Director of the Office of Civil Rights for HHS, to discuss the new guidance. In my second block, the New York Times accused the religious right of not only being hostile to science, but to having crippled the national coronavirus response in a recent op-ed by Catherine Stewart. Stewart took particular issue with the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, led by Dr. Calvin Beisner. Well, I'll have Dr. Beisner on to discuss his blistering rejoinder in The Federalist and how the New York Times yet again has ignored the facts. At the bottom of the hour, our nation is indeed approaching Holy Week and Palm Sunday worship. But in these uncertain days, as many of us are relegated to online services this Sunday, how can we encourage worship at home? And what opportunities for spiritual development does something like a COVID-19 pandemic offer us? Well, I'll be joined by David Clausen, FRC's Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview. And in my last block, are you finding yourself at home with kids who aren't back in school yet or need some directed educational guidance? Homeschool advocate and talk show host Sam Sorbo will join me with some free educational resources homeschoolers are making available. And I'll also talk with FRC's education research associate, Meg Kilgannon, about her recent blog post on resources she's discovered for non-homeschoolers. Plus, her thoughts on how to frame the education issue in unprecedented days. A reminder to all of you listening today, Twitter, follow FRC DC at FRC DC or Tony at T Perkins. Follow me if you'd care to at Sarah P. Perry. And a reminder to go to TonyPerkins.com, the podcast website for today's program, where you can find all affiliated resources and background information on today's guests that will help bring the show to life. Well, the coronavirus outbreak has reached one million global cases, and its numbers are still rising. The lack of resources and statistical climb has led some countries to take a utilitarian approach toward providing emergency medical care. Doctors in Italy, for example, were put to gut-wrenching decisions about who lives and who dies. Well, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, in an effort to prevent such a terrible calculus, has directed states not to ration care or to discriminate in the provision of the same, rather to treat all patients equally and legally. Joining me now to talk about it is Roger Severino, Director of the Office for Civil Rights at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Roger, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Sarah. 
So, Roger, tell me, if you would, specifically what this particular bulletin issued by HHS sets out specifically. What was it designed to do? It's designed to set out the guardrails for healthcare providers and for states if it comes to the moment where they reach very tough decisions about allocation of care during this crisis. States have tremendous flexibility in how they save lives. However, we have, as a nation, stand up for certain principles of equality and inclusion, of doing everything in our power to leave no person behind, to take special care for people who are vulnerable, in this case, persons with disabilities and persons who are older. Now, there's a connection in my own life. My sister is an ER nurse, and I was speaking with her about these issues. Um, The government is doing everything it can from President Trump and his leadership and Vice President Pence to make sure that we have as many ventilators as possible, as much bed space as possible. However, if things reach a point where tough decisions have to be made, just as my sister uh, wants guidance to make sure that we do the right thing, my parents who are approaching 80 and have underlying health conditions also want to make sure that people like them are protected so that our, our fundamental principles of making sure we treat everybody equally, that everybody has equal dignity and worth, regardless of their ability or not, so that we avoid having to separate the quote-unquote fit from unfit. We're a better country than that. And the guidance that we put out through our bulletin is sets out the principles. And then they're rather simple. One, do not use stereotypes about a person's disabilities or their age when uh, making medical care decisions. Mm-hmm. It must be based on an individualized assessment of the patient, the human being in front of you, and it should not include quality of life assessments where it judges one person's worth, quote unquote, versus another. And this is an incredible concern for persons with disabilities who already have enough time facing discrimination in the medical field. And we want to make sure that entities and governments are aware of their responsibilities, that there are guardrails while they work to save people's lives. They make sure they take into account governing law. So my consideration, as we've watched this, and it really has been sort of a wave that has swept the globe from one side to the other, and we saw it coming nation by nation, grappled with some very, very difficult situations, Italy being probably chief among them, not having been prepared for the coronavirus outbreak by any extent. They had to make some very, very difficult decisions. Was the thinking through HHS trying to prevent the types of situations in Italy and... Were there situations domestically, were there particular states that were sort of raising the specter of this becoming an issue in the future? Well, as, pri- as uh, Vice President Pence and President Trump have said, this is a mobil- mobilization of the entirety of the federal government and a mobilization of the entirety of the American people to make sure that our first responders are supported, that they have the PPE and protective equipment they need, that we remove every regulatory barrier to let them do their jobs, to make sure that nobody's left behind, while at the same time respecting these fundamental laws of civil rights and equal treatment. Other countries have had it tough, and we've done everything we can to make sure that they, what they have faced there doesn't show up here. And we continue to leverage every resource of the federal government to protect people in need. And we've had a tremendous response, uh, odd bedfellows even. The cooperation that the state governors have had with President Trump has been extraordinary. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, we've butted heads on issues, on issues of conscience, and making sure that they don't have a universal abortion mandate in their insurance. My office has 
been interacting with them and issued a notice of violation. However, we commend California for picking up on our bulletin and agreeing with it and saying, yes, these principles have to be put in place. We've had pro-life groups. I just got off, uh, got off on a call with the American Association of People with Disabilities. That's Ted Kennedy Jr. is the chair, and I was on a call with him and all sorts of folks. It, this is a bipartisan issue because it's a reflection of fundamental principles of America and it's a reflection of our character that we really do care about every American, especially the least among us. How encouraging to see a truly bipartisan effort that is designed to bring together different sectors of the population, of politics, of the electorate, all together to be able to unify this response and make sure that everyone is treated equally and fairly under the law as they are designed to be. So this bulletin also provides guidance on HIPAA regulations. Can you clarify that for us? Yes. uh, Our Office for Civil Rights does civil rights, conscience and religious freedom, as well as HIPAA enforcement and regulations. As I mentioned, we're trying to get rid of every regulatory impediment to our first responders' ability to treat their patients and protect themselves and others. We've been lifting any possible regulation we can through enforcement discretion to provide for telehealth, for example. You could use FaceTime. You could use Zoom. You could use Skype to connect with your doctor, and those doctors do not have to worry about whether or not the technicalities of HIPAA have been complied with during this emergency. We've allowed the ability of hospitals to communicate with first responders to let them know if they're going to enter a situation where somebody is already infected so they could take the proper steps to protect themselves. We're making sure that the mobile testing centers uh, don't have to worry so much about red tape, but be able to serve the people and as many people can get tested as Mm -hmm. possible. And this is an all of government, all of America response, and we're doing everything we can to make sure people get the health care they need even when they are at stay-at-home orders, so they could still be served. And this also affects people with disabilities. They have mobility impairments, communication difficulties, limited English proficiency. We right. have to make sure that wherever they are, they can be served and, again, not left behind. I've been getting notifications from the set of doctors that we work with for our own um, family's health issues. We've had a few of these telehealth appointments. They've gone swimmingly. Now, I don't anticipate that will always be the case, but so far we've been exceptionally pleased with the ability to make sure that our children's health care continues on pace without any, any disruptions. And I am so encouraged by the fact that you brought up sort of your own interest in the issue, specifically based on your family, my oldest on the autism spectrum, very verbal, but one would hate to think if he was ever in a situation like that, that someone who would not consult with me and who would make sort of a unilateral, amoral decision that his individual life was not necessarily worth someone else's, it is so appropriate and it is perfectly timed that your office would make sure that there is clear guidance on a situation like this because we're seeing situations, many of us have read about what the guidance was looking like previously in Washington State and down in Alabama, and we cringe to think about what this might look like in terms of actual practice. So the timing on this is perfect, it's appropriate, it has bipartisan support, Talk to me a little bit, if you would, Roger, about what the repercussions could be if there are individuals providing and making these types of calculuses based on these prohibited categories. Well, first, we have received several complaints with respect to crisis standards of care, 
and we are investigating those 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 claims. Uh, our duty is to enforce the law, and we want to get ahead of this. While there is time, and God willing, it won't come to a resource allocation or in a, in a environment of scarcity. But if it yes. were to come to that, that if you receive federal funds, you must respect federal law, even during an emergency circumstance. Now, there are nuances where emergency circumstances can be taken into account, um, but the overall principle remains that persons with disabilities based on age, sex, national origin, exercise religion and conscience, that must be protected. There are ways that you could run afoul of the law by using stereotypes, by not treating people as individuals, by using quality of life judgments to impose a view that persons with disabilities have somehow a life that's difficult and therefore not worth living. Um, that's not what persons with disabilities say, right? That's yes. They should be part of the discussion, part of the equation. We had a case uh, where there was a transplant issue where in the medical notes, one of the reasons for not allowing the person to be on a heart transplant list, they were on the autism spectrum. So we oh. intervened and they were allowed to be put back on. And we do not want to see that repeated, especially in this time of crisis. It is time to come together, not to exclude. Oh, Roger Severino, thanks so much for the good work that OCR at HHS is doing. Thank you for the guidance so dearly needed and that protects families like ours. This is Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry sitting in for Tony Perkins. I am so excited to talk to my next guest. He is whip smart. He understands science and he takes issue particularly with an op-ed that recently appeared in the New York Times calling Christian nationalists climate deniers and science deniers, in addition to blaming us for the crippling of the coronavirus response. We'll have his piece coming up next after the break on Washington Watch. Is historic masculinity lost forever? Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in a culture of gender confusion? We need men to be men, tough with compassionate strength, bent toward justice without compromise, locking arms and standing. We need to be the men God created us to be and fight for all that is right, true, and just. This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference. To find out more, go to StandCourageous.com. This conference is led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will invest in you, helping you understand your role as a defender, a provider, an instructor, a battle buddy, and a chaplain so that you can have the generational influence that God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, Many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth, that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. 
To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. We can all bet. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry sitting in for Tony Perkins on this Friday afternoon. Well, if you read the Washington Times, or rather the New York Times, uh, Catherine Stewart, who's the author of a book called The Power Worshippers, Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism, if that doesn't make your hair stand on end, issued an op-ed, The Religious Rights Hostility to Science is Crippling Our Coronavirus Response. And in very nearly the first sentence of this op-ed, she took issue with an organization of whom my next guest is the president. Dr. Carl Beisner is founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, and he has a rejoinder in The Federalist that was recently published, and I have him today to discuss what she says. Dr. Beisner, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much for uh, having me on. Great to be back on the program. So the op-ed that appears in the New York Times, and again, as somebody who has issued a a book, a treatise, if you will, on the right of what she calls religious nationalism. It's clear she comes into this with a very distinct perspective. And she slung a lot of mud in this article. So she starts with your organization, the Cornwall Alliance, and leads right off with what she considers to be climate deniers and science deniers. Tell me a little bit about your response to that. Well, one of the first things one might do is to ask, so who is she to, uh, you know, to judge about science denial? Uh, I looked her up on, on Wikipedia. There's no indication of her education at all. The, uh, the um, note on the author in her book, The Power Worshippers, identifies her simply as one of the leading authorities on the political aspects of the religious right. Uh, As far as I can tell, she has no scientific credentials whatsoever. And I I would just suggest that maybe there's a difference between her and the Cornwall Alliance. Our roughly 70 uh, scholars in the Cornwall Alliance uh, include about a third of them natural scientists, including, by the way, some of the world's top climate scientists, like Dr. Roy Spencer of the University of Alabama, who, who helps to run NASA's satellite global temperature monitoring system. Uh, It's just absurd. Uh, And she also, by the way, has said in another article uh, and in her first book that came out back in 2013, that we offer only a theological justification for saying that there's no scientific evidence that human emissions of CO2 are driving dangerous global warming. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, if she had bothered to click to the link for, from the declaration from which she quoted that, she'd have found that it was to a uh, 70-page document with a chapter on the science of climate change in it by Dr. Spencer and nine other scientists. Mm. That was our justification, not something theological. <laughs> Well, it pays to do your homework, doesn't it? So <laughs> speaking of doing your homework, your your excellent response in The Federalist really does 
a very tremendous job of taking apart these claims. And there was, as you've classified, yellow journalism at work here. This was somebody who resorted to name-calling and factual half-inaccuracies to make a point, and it was really Mm -hmm. just a punch-and-run technique. So talk a little bit about what she patently ignores in this piece. Well, for example, she she tries to argue that evangelicals are are uh, what, advising the Trump administration and advising the public away from important steps to curb the spread of the coronavirus. Right. She quotes three different pastors. She does not mention that one of them actually reversed his his stance within a couple of days of what she quoted. She also doesn't mention that these three are all on the extreme fringe of the American charismatic Pentecostal movement. One of them, in fact, is even anti-Trinitarian, which means not even Christian. Um, they all are part of the name it and claim it health and wealth gospel movement, which the vast majority of evangelicals would, would frankly say is heretical. Right. And yet she uses them as examples of how evangelicals respond to the coronavirus. She could instead have quoted Tony Perkins or, right. <laughs> or anybody else with Family Research Council, or she could have quoted Family, uh, family in, or Focus on the Family. She could have quoted American Family Association, uh, the um, Center for Law and Justice, American Center for Law and Justice, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. She could have quoted any of these others, and they all, they all were advising people, be sure to take very serious steps to help curb the spread of the coronavirus, follow the instructions of your governing uh, authorities, uh, you know, don't continue having large gatherings, and so on. She purposely picked and chose so as to present one appearance uh, when it was highly unrepresentative. Uh, this is just, you know, th- this is yellow journalism at its worst. As, as a former newspaper reporter, editor, editor and publisher whose dad was a uh, lifelong journalist, I've got ink in my veins. And frankly, when I yes. read her thing, that ink boiled. I was shocked that the New York Times would even run a piece like that, even the New York Times. Well, and it's easy. Again, this is part and parcel of today's political landscape. We find ourselves lumped very easily once again into whether you call it this or not, because this now is an old and trite term, the basket of deplorables by painting us as sort of science deniers, climate deniers, coronavirus deniers. You paint us as ignoramuses who are untenable and our reach into the highest levels of federal government, our impact on the current administration is nothing other than the fact we have so easily led the administration and POTUS astray when, in fact, that's not the case. And you're pointing out that this is not representative of Orthodox Christianity, that it really is not mainstream evangelicalism, really has been excellent. I encourage our listeners to go to The Federalist, and we'll also have this linked to our FRC site, TonyPerkins.com, the website for our podcast. Thanks so much for joining me, Dr. Beisner. Well, coming up, after this, we have Palm Sunday and Easter week on the way. 
Churches are getting creative with ways to worship, but what's the importance of worship at home? How can we encourage it? And what opportunities for spiritual development like this does the coronavirus present? I'll be right back with David Clausen from FRC's Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview Group right after this. Welcome back to Washington Watch. This is Sarah Perry sitting in for Tony on this Friday afternoon. Well, we are rounding the corner into Easter week, and I don't think any of us anticipated at this time last year that our future Easter would be spent in our homes under stay-at-home orders or quarantines or self-isolations, but things look very different in 2020. And so for many of us, myself included, we are enjoying worship services that are streamed online. Many of them are saved. You can watch them later and we'll prepare to worship that way in the Perry household on Sunday for Palm Sunday. But what opportunities does this crisis present for spiritual development? And how do we continue to build on worship at home in these strange days? David Clausen, FRC's Director of Christian Ethics and Building. Biblical Worldview is back with me now. David, welcome back. It's great to be back with you, Sarah. So worshiping at home is strangely now an even more regular occurrence, but it's very easy to get out of the habit without a trip to an actual church building every week. I know with three out of my four being teenagers, I have to practically sandblast them out of bed on a Sunday. So how do we continue to foster worship within our own homes during this time? Yeah, it's a great question. I know, you know, as, as Christians, these are the whole world's going through a difficult time right now, and as Christians, we're feeling that in different ways. And you know, part of us does ache that we can't meet together. Christians, as a people, we're we're a meeting people, um, mm-hmm. and that's good. Scripture tells us, you know, not to neglect meeting together. But there are some times when it is not wise or prudent, and we're in that time right now. And a lot of churches, you know, are live streaming their services. Uh, I talked to a pastor uh, yesterday who's organizing a drive-in uh, service. But for your your question about meeting at home, I think there's a lot of things that we we can be doing in this time. Um, It's a great opportunity for families uh, to practice family worship. Uh, And if that sounds like a strange, you know, idea. And we actually on frc.org slash church, we have a link uh, from a professor at Southern Seminary who teaches uh, family how they can go about doing family worship, reading the Bible, singing songs uh, together. I know personally going into Holy Week, I'm going to start using a Holy Week devotional uh, that John Piper put together called Your Sorrow Will Turn Into Joy. Mm. Um this coming week, I'm going to encourage families uh, to go through uh, the gospel accounts uh, that document Jesus's last week in Jerusalem as they prepare to celebrate the resurrection on Sunday. So I yes. think there's a lot we need to do. We just need to be intentional about it. 
Yes, I would agree with that. And I have to tell you, my instinct and yours is that we need to continue with worship. And now even more than before, this Easter week seems to have significance, particular significance this year. I can't help but ignore sort of some of the parallels in overcoming exceptional adversity. What's your thinking about the importance of continuing to worship, and especially now, this year? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, a fundamental part about our human nature is that we are, we're forgetful people. And that's why it's so important yes. to daily go, or weekly go to church and to daily read our Bible. And especially in Holy Week, we're entering a time where we're going to be thinking about and meditating on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Easter is the most important day on our calendar. Think about it. Everything in the yeah. Bible stretching all the way back to Genesis, points to Jesus' triumph over sin and death. And we're going to celebrate that because God has made a way for sinful people to be reconciled to himself. And we can celebrate that. Normally we would be doing that with our church family, those we've covenanted together in membership with. But this gives us an opportunity to do that really intentionally with our families, especially parents. What an opportunity to model faithfulness uh, to their children. So I think there's great opportunities for Christian families uh, in this time. And this really does present an opportunity for spiritual growth. You know, we've talked about pandemics and crises, and there are a lot of very big, very extreme words being thrown about. But really, this is an opportunity for spiritual growth in the midst of all of it, isn't it? It's a huge, huge opportunity. What an opportunity. Think about how much time we have on our hands now that we don't normally have with people practicing social distancing and quarantining and working from home. What a great opportunity to catch up on your Bible reading. What a great opportunity to uh, start praying, uh, practicing these spiritual disciplines uh, that are just so good for our walk with the Lord and our spiritual health. You know, it's very interesting to me that because I still have two of my four little enough to sort of wait for Easter and for the Easter Bunny, it really is an opportunity to realign for me their perspectives on what the essence, what the core celebration is of Palm Sunday and of Easter Sunday, because this is, as you said, this is the crux of the message of the gospel. This was not Jesus who came as a prophet and then died as a regular man. This was Jesus, the Savior and his rising on the third day really does put everything into perspective for us. So I see so many opportunities here to be able to realign my kids' perspectives, my own perspective, because it's very easy to get caught up in the whole woe is me, right? I can't celebrate with the other members of the church congregation. I'm actually facing this opportunity to just sit on the couch and worship with my family, but what a wonderful way to come back to God's first creation in family and to the essence of God's message in that we will have eternal life because he paved the way for us. David, thanks as always for joining me today. Well, if you're a parent, you're probably figuring out right now what education is looking like going into the future for your children. Are you homeschooling? Are you a public school parent? There's an emergency initiative to provide free resources for those schooling at home during the pandemic. We'll talk to actor, radio shock, talk show host, and homeschool mom, Sam Sorbo. And we'll talk to Meg Kilgannon, FRC's education associate, about how to frame the issue of educating our kids while they're at home. We'll be right back after this.
Where can young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of real manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of gender confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will help you understand your role as a defender, provider, instructor, battle buddy, and chaplain so that you can have the generational influence God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. Recently, a bill called the Fairness for All Act was introduced to the House of Representatives. In response, FRC has a new resource, the Unfairness of the Fairness for All Act. This act attempts to find a compromise between the First Amendment's protection of religious freedom and the demands of the LGBT community. But, unfortunately, it is a poorly drafted bill that would negatively impact religious freedom, true equality, and the privacy and safety of women. Learn more at frc.org slash fairness for all. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth, that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry, Director of Partnerships here, filling in for Tony Perkins. TonyPerkins.com, our podcast website. You can also find our podcast on every streaming platform. Go there. You can download. You can listen. Share with your friends. Follow Tony on Twitter at T. Perkins or me at Sarah P. Perry. Well, I have four. They are all underfoot, and I'm not quite sure what to do with them. If you are a parent listening to this, you're going to be very pleased with this next segment because coronavirus chaos has led to many schools closing their doors for the remainder of the year. Now, parents can school from home, but some organizations have gone a step further. They've taken up the mantle of providing resources for parents caught in this strange place between formal education and regular home life. So my next guest is Sam Sorbo, actress, talk show host, and homeschool mom who's helping lead an emergency initiative to provide free resources for those schooling at home during the pandemic. Sam, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this new resource that we have. Good. Well, I have to tell you, there were parents like me who were eagerly searching online once we realized that it would be weeks and weeks before our children were back into some sort of structured learning environment. So tell me a little bit about this particular educational initiative. So, as you know, you know, schools across the nation are now shuttered, and they sent the kids home, and many of them sent kids home without anything, um, we just recognize the need, and so we are supplying K through 5 curriculum, and it's a full soup to nuts thing. So when you go to the website, coronavirushomeschooling.com, uh, you'll see, first you'll see, uh, take a breath. 
take a deep breath, relax. Mm. You can do this, and we are here to help. And then you'll then then you'll be able to sign up, and it's delivered into your inbox every day. And it is a full day curriculum for your your young people, um, including games that that go along with the curriculum and projects, uh, craft projects to do, and exercise things to do with your kids uh, every day. And, and of course, all of the, the academic stuff as well. So we're very excited to be able to bring this to people because there are a lot of parents out there who are just like, okay, so I get it. I'm supposed to be doing something, but I don't know what. Right, this right. Is, this is the what. This is the what and the how. And, um, and the how much fun it will be when you, when you get started. So we're just here to help. And, um, did I mention that it's free? It's free. I love it. Boy, cause I tell you what, there are not a lot of us who are in traditional educational environments. I, for example, am the parent of homeschool or public school kids simply because homeschool was not an option for us for a variety of different reasons. But I anticipate that r- really this is going to revolutionize the thinking about traditional education going forward. Do you think there's going to be a bump in interest in homeschooling after this pandemic is is ultimately behind us? I think absolutely, because everybody's being forced to test drive it. And, right. you know, when we test drive something, we, we try it on, um, it, it, it often fits differently than we thought it was going to fit. And sometimes it looks better off the coat hanger than it does on the, you know, to mix the metaphors, uh, than it, than it does on the rack, right? Right. Um, I, I think that parents are going to start figuring out that just because school is eight hours a day doesn't mean that you and your child have to spend eight hours a day. In fact, it doesn't mean your child has to spend eight hours a day because a lot of the school day is lost on attendance taking and, uh, messing around and ch- changing classrooms and stuff like that. Um, right. and, you don't have to be a teacher standing at a blackboard to homeschool. So there are myriad opportunities, possibilities for you as as you pursue this opportunity. And we're just here to, to try to help you sort of explore those different opportunities. There are so many different ways to home educate, and and almost none of them look anything like a traditional classroom. Right. Right. And I think there's going to be just increased interest, particularly as we find organizations and initiatives like yours that provide free, excellent materials that have been vetted by individuals, by educators, by experts who share our values and our perspective, devoid of all of the social justice engineering, engineering and the progressive sexual education curriculum and the gender bending notion of fluidity and drag queen story hours, I will tell you, it has been nice for me to take a deep breath and go, okay, so at least for the next four weeks, I know what they're doing. I am in charge of, I am looking at every resource that comes home. We get an opportunity to review everything side by side. And initiatives like these, Sam, are really great because we trust organizations like yours and materials like these, and they are so applicable to so many people. So one more question for you. We also have middle schoolers and high schoolers. For these individuals, what's your suggestion until we get some semblance of a structured education environment for them? Does the Texas Homeschool Coalition offer materials for middle and high school students? And if not, what's your suggestion for the older kids? 
Well, the great thing about this site, which is coronavirushomeschooling.com, is they also offer a community and a vibrant Facebook page. And so if you have older kids, we, we don't have the resources up online just yet, but they are coming, so just keep checking back. But go to the Facebook page because with 30-plus years of experience, there are people in our group that can speak to that and help you out. Um, I would say that for older kids, there's going to be a decompression time mm-hmm. with them coming home and understanding that, oh, now mom and dad are really the authority again, whereas, you know, the authority was sort of handed over to the school. So there's going to be some decompression time. I would start assigning them just the classic books. Just have them start reading the classics. And mm. I, I don't understand, frankly, how kids get sent home without any textbooks. What's oh, going agreed. On in our schools that there's no that there are no textbooks, and then you have to wonder. So, so what is happening in the schools? So, this is a perfect opportunity for you to really explore, um, you know, wh- what your children are being assigned, and then do a comparison and see what else is out there. It's not just um, coronavirushomeschooling.com, although I'd recommend that site. Right. There are plenty of other resources, and a lot of the, the curriculum suppliers are offering their resources for free right now because they recognize that there's a growing audience that, uh, that they could probably pick up some market share if they did that and offered it for just a test drive. So I'm encouraging parents, take a look, try this on, and see if, if it's not something that could fit for your family. Um, I know a guy who, you know, his, his son was failing seventh grade. They were going to hold him back. And he took a year, and he took the night shift. He worked a night shift every night because his wife was not going to homeschool. And he homeschooled his young t- uh, teenage boy. And they did seventh and eighth grade in one year. And he put him back into school in ninth grade. And I'm just saying... Wow. You know, there, the possibilities are out there. The unfortunate thing is because we all went through this system, we think that it has to look a certain way. It has to look like a teacher standing at a blackboard. And we're incapable because we've never been taught how. Right. But the fact is we've done a bunch of things individual. individual. You've done a bunch of things that you were never, quote, taught how to do. You figured out how. And this is going to be one of those things. As parents, we can figure out. We we taught our kids to tie their shoes. We taught our kids to eat uh, with proper manners at the table. And know how to teach that to our children. And this is another one of those things. So teaching reading, teaching writing, teaching mathematics. The other thing that I want to say is, if you don't know the math, because oh my gosh, it's been so ma- it's been so long since you were in sixth grade. Well, the the great news is. All the answers are in the math book. All you have to do is go back a couple pages and look at the lesson, and it's right there. Right. Good. Oh, Sam Sorbo, so nice to talk to you. Thanks for the resource that you're providing for those who are listening, for other parents who find themselves in this situation. I'm going to switch gears, and I'm going to bring on now Meg Kilgannon, who is our Education Research Associate. She's a mom of four. She, like me, has gone through the public school system, and she, like me, has done a lot of vetting of every piece of material that comes in through the door. She just wrote a great blog piece recently. Meg, Welcome back to the program. Thank you, Sarah. It's so great to be here. So I want to talk about this blog. So frc.org slash blog is our blog site. It will appear at the top. It's a blog on education resources. But before we go into some of those, help frame this particular issue for me. 
Well, I think we have everyone now is schooling at home, no matter what you were doing before. If you're a homeschool parent, you're just schooling at home now because all of your homeschool activities, your co-ops, your classes, your sports activities are canceled. Right. And 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 a lot of homeschool doesn't happen at home. It happens <laughs> it happens a lot in a lot of different places. Right. Just one thing people like about homeschooling. And so those people are are challenged to make new arrangements for themselves as well. Uh, if you've if you've had your children in private school, if you've had your children in public school, they're not leaving the house now for school. They're schooling at home. Some of those school systems are sending materials home or have online learning capacity, and other school systems are are not so quickly ready to go with this new new situation. So parents are really really pushed now a lot of parents are working from home rather than going to the office if you're able to do that which is a blessing so you have a lot of demands on your time you've got kids who need a computer for schoolwork. you have mom or dad who needs the computer for for work work (laughs) (laughs) and and juggling all of that is really a challenge so i i I totally agree with with sam's advice to, to stop and take a breath one of the one of the the uh, resources we put it in the blog was um, a dad's plan that it, it was just sort of general overview advice because I really liked what he said. Think about what you want your children to remember about this time five years mm. from now yeah. or 10 years from now or 50 years from now. Right. You don't want them to think of it as a miserable time when the parents were all stressed out. <laughs> you right. want them to remember this time as a time <laughs> when you all bonded together and made the best of a bad situation, right? Right. And, and so that was a really good reminder for me <laughs> to just to, to really take that message to heart and to think about how do we want to look back on this. Right. Uh, and then... Then there were more practical things in the blog post, too, actual websites that have actual lesson plans um, that on a whole variety of subjects. Um, there's math help, language arts help. Um, we have a, a couple of resources for, for the autistic or sensory challenged child. Right. There's... Um, science and nature resources and we we offer this 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 piece with the big disclaimer that we can't possibly vet every single link on every single page right. of the stuff that we've suggested and and at the same time we trust parents to determine what's best for their children right it's yes. not up to me to tell someone else what to do with their child right we trust parents to know what material will work for their kid and what material would be better to skip and what website looks like it might like some really kind of sketchy stuff and which right. ones don't. We tried to we tried to eliminate those. Right. <laughs> <off the top. laughs> but sometimes you find yourself on a website that all of a sudden you realize has pop-up ads. So maybe they're not bad pop-up ads, but that might be really distracting for for a particular child. So, right. you know, these are the kind of things that make it necessary for parents to really monitor their children while they're online. 
which is good advice anytime. Well, and there's, there's a lot of material that we've provided, some of which is organized in separate animated lessons. There are a couple that we link to that provide lessons, individual lessons on, for example, the Revolutionary War or George Washington. And then there are other lessons that link out to lessons that you would not want to push necessarily in your home, not because they are morally inappropriate, but because they institute sort of the beginnings of a worldview that if you were a parent, you're going to probably have some issues with. And we really did call down to the best of the best as much as as was possible. But I'm glad that you've offered that caveat because, again, you and I both have experience in the education field. We are both parents. We have experience vetting this kind of stuff. But, again, it, the parent's judgment is the consummate marker of appropriateness here. And it's not a traditional learning environment. And I'm glad you said that as well yeah. because, again, even homeschoolers don't spend time in isolation under quarantine. I mean, they go out to co-ops. They go on museums for field trips. They take walks and experience nature. There are myriad ways that homeschooling manifests itself out in the community at large. In fact, that's one of the most I think appealing aspects is not just the control over the material itself but the non-traditional learning format. It really is sort of being students of the world and in the world. And so we are now provided that opportunity to do as well. And what I like is that, as I mentioned to Sam, we can sit down with our kids side by side and go, okay, for me, because they start online er learning gulp on uh, Monday, we don't really know what that's going to look like. I can sit side by side with my kids and say, okay, what are you reading? What are you working on? What does your lesson plan say? And so this is sort of a gift. I view this as God's ability to say, listen, I'm going to give you primacy in your child's life. I'm going to take you out of the public school environment, and I'm going to put you right here side by side next to them. So we tried to supplement that, particularly for the parents who find themselves going, okay, we're in a black hole now. We're not quite sure what's going to happen. So what's your final encouraging word in these couple of seconds we have left? Well, I would just love to hear from people about what we didn't put in. We'd love to hear what you're using that you love or what you're using that you wouldn't maybe recommend. And I realized after I hit the publish button that there was nothing on music. So maybe we'll have to do a follow-up. Meg Kilgannon, this has been Washington Watch. I'm Sarah Perry. I'll hear you next time and talk to you then. Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 